Hey, everybody, this is Walter Trout, and you are right here listening to my weekly mixtape with your host, Brian Colburn. Here we go. Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. Tonight, I am so grateful to be joined by a blues rock legend, Walter Trout. Walter, it's an absolute honor to have you on My Weekly Mixtape. Thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for having me here, Brian. Glad to be here. Glad to be anywhere at this point of life. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Well, I'd like to start by asking you the same question I ask all of my first-time guests, and that is, what does the word mixtape mean to you? Well, I'm 72 years old. I'm going to be 73 in a month here. So to me, it's when you used to make cassettes and you would record off of your vinyl records, but you would record songs in a row that you wanted to hear on your cassettes, and then you could actually play the cassettes in your car if you wanted. So it goes way back. I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but that's what it means to me. That is exactly the mindset that this show was based on, creating memories based on music from all different albums, sometimes all different artists. And what I've done tonight is I've put together a mixtape of some of my favorite Walter Trout songs, and then we're going to transition that into your brand new album that has just dropped called Broken. But the first song I'd like to touch on is going way back. It's the song that introduced me to your music. And I'm going to take you back to my early days in radio, some two decades and change ago. I was jamming out to some music on mp3.com. That was definitely a site. And I stumbled across a little track called Looking for the Promised Land. And I was immediately blown away. Breaking the fourth wall here, we're actually recording this episode the day after Martin Luther King Day. And with that, I felt like that made this song extra fitting to kick things off. Can you talk about the message of this song and how it still remains relevant almost 25 years later? It's amazing you bring that up because yesterday was Martin Luther King Day and I actually posted that song, which I do every year on that day. You know, I had the idea for the song. I mean, it is an old song of mine. It's got to be at least 20 years old. But the thing of looking for the promised land, I don't know, I might have been watching a movie or something, but that became kind of a metaphor for me. I think everybody is sort of doing that in their life, metaphorically. They're looking for a better life. They're looking for a happier life, a more stress-free life a fulfillment in their life. So I started off to write it like that. And then it became, you know, there's a couple of Bible stories in there. I started off with Moses and then I went to Daniel and the lion's den. When it was time for the third verse, I went right to Martin Luther King, you know, who I think was um, a modern, amazing hero that we need to look up to, you know, and He gave his life for what he believed in, and you can't ask for more than that of a human being. It also recently, before I wrote it, I had played in Memphis 
and my wife and I had gone to the the National Civil Rights Museum, which is located in the old Lorraine Motel where Martin Luther King was assassinated. So it just seemed to all come together when I wrote that song. Well, I want to take this moment to personally thank you because way back in the late aughts, 2008, I saw you perform at the Mexicali Blues Cafe in Teaneck, New Jersey. Yes. You were out promoting the Walter Trout Power Trio CD Hardcore. My buddies and I were sitting front row and in between songs, I elbowed my buddy and I thought I whispered to him, here's to hoping we get promised land tonight. My wife has informed me many a times over the years that when I think I'm whispering, I'm actually yelling at the top of my lungs. And apparently (laughs) you heard me from the stage. You looked me dead in the eye and said, promise land, huh? All right, boys, let's give it to them. Two, three, four. And you went right into the song. I've been waiting some 15 years to thank you for that moment. That was just absolutely unreal. Oh, well, thank you. But you got to watch that whispering, man. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't get any better. But I want to stick with that hardcore CD for a moment, as there's a version of a song that really opens up from the original. It's a track called Gotta Leave This Town, which was originally featured on your Go The Distance album. In this live version, you incorporate volume swells into the guitar solo. And as a guitarist myself who's not good at that technique in any way, shape, or form. I'm completely blown away when you pull it out in a live performance. I'd love to know your thought process behind incorporating volume swells like that. Well, there actually is no thought process behind it. When I start playing guitar solos, I don't want to think at all. As a matter of fact, I tell people if I had wanted to think I wouldn't, you know, have played music. I, I played music <laughs> so I don't I can stop thinking this um overly active brain of mine here, you know. And the one that kind of gave me the idea to do that was when I was a kid, I was a huge fan of Roy Buchanan. And uh, I went to see him many times and he played in Cherry Hill, New Jersey in a little bar and me and my buddies went to see him and After the gig, we carried his Fender amp to his car for him, you know, and got, and then when I was with John Mayall, Roy Mm -hmm. became a friend of mine. And there's actually another guitar player whose name was Mike Deasy, and he played on a live Cannonball Adderley album. Whoa. And he was doing volume swells. And um, I just found it to be such an amazing technique. Now, if if we have time, I would like to go back through the history of the Stratocaster. Sure. Because Leo Fender had the Telecaster, and he had a friend named Bill Carson who played guitar in a country western band. And Bill Carson said to his friend Leo, hey, if you move the volume button right under my pinky and you put a whammy bar vibrato bar on the guitar i can imitate a steel guitar so the stratocaster was actually the first stratocaster was actually invented with that technique in mind wow learn something new every day i love it yeah Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. The next album I want to focus on is one of my favorites of yours from across your whole catalog, and that's Relentless. It was an album of brand new original material that you chose to record live in concert in Amsterdam. So the first time any fans heard songs like The Life I Chose, Jericho Road, and I'm Tired, it was in a live setting, which is an extremely unique approach to releasing new music. Can you talk about the mindset behind that approach? Well, I'm going to give credit where it's due here. For the last 32 years, my career has been very well managed by someone who also happens to be my wife. And she came up with the idea. She said, Walter, what would you think about your next album doing it live in front of people? And um, I was like, well, well, that's interesting. She goes, you do all original songs, but you go in front of people. And we had first come up with the idea that we would rent out a big recording studio in Los Angeles and um, we would set up chairs and we would record it in front of people sitting there. And we'd actually gone to the studio and were setting that up when Elton John rented out the studio for a month. There was a huge studio where Sinatra and these other people had recorded. So at that point, we're like, Let's just do it in the venue. And the man who owned the record label, Thomas Roof, said, what's your favorite venue in the world? And I said, Paradiso in Amsterdam. And he said, well, let's do it there. So that was my wife's idea. Let's call her my manager. My manager came up with that as sort of something different. Let's try something, you know, not many people have done. I think Neil Young did that once. Um, one or two other people, but it was high pressure. And we did two nights there and we ended up using the second night. The whole album is the second night because we were much more relaxed at that point. Well, I absolutely love the album. I've always wondered, and I'm guessing the answer is because it wasn't an original, but on the DVD, 
you actually open up with a cover of Elmore James' Dust My Broom, which you had included on your No More Fist Jokes album. But this version, to me, is my all-time favorite version of Dust My Broom. And I was always curious why it didn't make the CD. Was that because it was a cover? Yeah, because it was a cover. And let me tell you one thing about my live performances. I always start off with kind of a up-tempo shuffle jam. And the reason we do that, and I play a while and I sing a while and the keyboard solo, and it's to kind of, sometimes you can get so adrenalized before you get up there to play. That first song is a way for us to just kind of blow it out. Also get used to the crowd, get used to the sound on the stage. And so I do that at every performance. I, I do just a kind of a shuffle jam to start the show. And that's our way of just easing into, okay, we're going to play for two hours here. Here we go. And not being completely overdosing on adrenaline, you know. Well, I want to take the approach you used on Relentless and move up a couple of years to your 2006 Full Circle album, which you recorded live in the studio all in one take. And one of the songs I'll just mention right off the top of my head is Clouds on the Horizon that you did with Joe Bonamassa. Did the experience of working on Relentless live on stage make you want to take that energy and bring it into the studio for that full circle album? You know, I, I don't know if it did that, but that was an album that I came up with the concept. I mean, I'm, I'm always up for trying new things. And I came up with this idea, like, how about if we go into a studio, we invite people to come into the studio with that special guest, we sit down right there and we write a song together. We show it to the band and we record it live, warts and all, however it comes out. So with every one of the guests on that album, they had to come in and they had to be in the studio with us and we had to write the song together. That's unbelievable because Clouds on the Horizon is such a monster. I think I read somewhere that there was only one take on the album where your headphones fell off and they stopped it right there. And then because you couldn't hear anything at that point. I can tell you clouds on the horizon. Joe came in and I had, he was going to play through one of my Mesa boogie amplifiers. And he went over to the amplifier and he was testing it, trying to set it. So he was playing the guitar with one hand and turning knobs on the amplifier and he was going, da 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 And I went, what's that lick? And he said, it's not a lick. I'm trying. And I said, let's take that lick and we'll make a song out of it. And wow. so we sat down, we put that song together. And what you hear on that album is the rehearsal. Now, the drummer was Richie Hayward of Little Feet, one of the greatest drummers in history. Richie yeah. was playing, and that was the rehearsal. And at the end of it, he said, okay, let's record it now. And I said to the producer, Eric, I said, hey, did you just record what we just did? And he said, yeah, I did. And I said, well, then that's it. And Richie's like, no, let's, let's do it again. <laughs> I said, we're never going to beat that, man. So what you hear, we only played it once. That is the rehearsal. Unbelievable. 
unbelievable. And Richie was kind of like, come on, man, we can do better. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think we're going to do better, you know? Considering that's a top three favorite of your songs for me, I'd love to hear what a quote unquote better version of that song is. But moving on to some other tracks that I'm a huge fan of. Fast forwarding a couple of years later on your album, The Outsider, you have a track, Welcome to the Human Race, which is just filled with this monster swagger to it. And on the same album, you have a gorgeous ballad, A Matter of the Heart. Every yeah. album that you've created over the years, I've noticed, truly strikes a perfect musical balance between the blues, the rock, the acoustic ballads, the shuffle blues, and all of the styles that have incorporated through your whole career on every album you put out. Is that something that when you're going into write an album is always on the top of your mind or is it just the songs that come out? Those are the songs that come out, but I, I can tell you I love ballads. And if I could get away with it, I'd just do a whole album of original ballads. I could sit down and write you a ballad very quickly. I find them just a perfect way to express feeling. And um, Matter of the Heart, I love that song. And that song basically says that love is an emotion. It's not something in your brain. It's something in your heart. But then Welcome to the Human Race, you know, I think I was a little maybe annoyed. It's a few things um, when I wrote that. <laughs> I don't know. But, but I do like if I have a ballad that I like and I put it on the album, and I sing it very quietly. And then I want to do a song where I'm screaming, you know? I want to kind of explore my my vocal range. And um, so it's funny, they just end up that way. But I do like to try to, like my wife says, my albums are like a roller coaster. You know, they got the up and the down and, you know, like on the new one, you have this rockin' song with uh, D. Snyder, and then right out of that, you have a, an instrumental that has an orchestral harp on it, and it's very quiet, you know. And for context for those listening, the track with D. Snyder is called I've Had Enough, and the orchestral instrumental is Love of My Life. Since we're talking about Broken right now, let's just dive into the new album. Starting with the opening track, a blistering ballad with the amazing Beth Hart that just so happens to be the title track of the album, Broken. Now I pay the cost And I'm only trying to see Just how much I have lost From the way I used to be Now it's every day Talk about how that collaboration came together and what Beth brought to the song's kind of overall emotional arc. Man, 
I'll go back a little bit through history. I had a song a few years ago called All Out of Tears, and it was written with the great blues singer Teeny Tucker, and it was also written with my wife, who is also an award-winning songwriter. And that song was about Teeny had lost her son, and the song was about grief. And it won Song of the Year at the Blues Music Awards that year. But it had a line in it. It's a very emotional song. It had a line in it, I know I'm broken. And every time I would sing that on stage, I would think, I need to write an answer to this, which is I don't want to be broken. I want to get out of this mental box that I'm in. And, and um, I want to get past this grief. And so I started writing that song and it started I had the first verse, pieces of myself seem to break away. I lose a little more each and every day. And I realized it was really about, when I was thinking about it, it was about my years as a drug addict and an alcoholic and my years with mental issues that I had to go into therapy for. And then some of the lyrics, it was hitting too close to home. And I told my wife, I'm stuck. I want to finish this song, and she's never been a drug addict or an alcoholic, but she's been with me for 33 years. She sat down and finished the lyrics for me, and I went in and sang it in the studio with the band, and the whole time I was singing it, in my head, I could hear Beth, and Beth is a dear friend, and she's been through a lot in her life, and I figured she could relate, so I sent her the song. And the next day she said, oh, I want to be part of this. This speaks to me. And she came in and sang with an emotional impact, which few people, few artists on the planet have. She's one of the greatest artists on the planet. Nobody sings like her. And uh, she came in and she elevated that song emotionally to an entirely new level. And um, I've played that song for a lot of people, and a lot of them have wept at the end, including one well-known musician who I won't name, but he was at my house with his wife, and I played them that song, and they embraced at the end, and they both started crying. Her emotional impact is one of a kind, and what she did with that song, that's something when I'm, on my deathbed and look back at my career, that's one that I'm, I'm proud of. And the same with my wife who wrote it with me. We think we did something there with that song. And people who are going through those problems, maybe it can, they can realize you're not alone. And that is an extremely powerful sentiment to put out in music. And for one, I thank you for that because your music has helped me through tough times in my life for various reasons. I relate to the lyrics, I relate to these songs, and that's what's made me a fan for so many years. Another track I'd like to touch on off the new album is the first single, Bleed, featuring Will Wilde on harmonica. You used to love somebody But they left you down and out And your heart was badly broken Destroyed and filled with death Get to proceed You know 
in the press leading up to the album, you were quoted as saying, I've always tried to write positive songs, and this album is not quite that, but I always hold on to hope. I think that's why I wrote this album. Could you elaborate on that? Because you've dealt with some extremely heavy and powerful themes over the years. Just throwing out there for an example, a song like Almost Gone from the album Battle Scars, which chronicled your battle with liver failure and the weight you endured for a donated liver to become available. And yet there was still hope. Why is this album different? Here's the thing with Battle Scars. It chronicles that whole thing. But it ends with a song called I'm Going to Live Again. Mm -hmm. So it ends with hope and it ends on a positive note. Um, This one, I have to say, I was kind of looking around at the world and at my life and life of different people. And when I said that this album is, is not that, I mean, this album starts with a song called Broken. It mm-hmm. is with a song called It Falls Apart. I have a song on there, there's no more magic on the street anymore. It kind of, I don't know, man. I took a look at what was going on around me and, and in certain people, and I still want there to be hope. And if you read the liner notes I wrote in the record, um, you'll see it ends with, I choose love, I choose hope. But it is, I am trying to, I think, point out some things, you know, the song falls apart as a line of lyric. I tried so hard to find peace, but it's just too difficult, you know, but there's got to be hope. Um, Without hope, we all might as well jump off a cliff, you know. Mm-hmm, I, I mm-hmm. try to look at the future and, and be positive about it, but I can't say that I this album is full of feel-good songs, you know. Well, there are songs that make you feel good, even though the message is definitely critical. And this is one you yeah. mentioned earlier, the hard rockin' track, I've Had Enough, that features Twisted Sister's D. Snyder, which is a very yeah. interesting collaboration because one doesn't usually put D into the blues. You usually think hard rock and metal. Let me tell you something. Too many preachers, too many rules, too many politicians, too many fools, too many lawyers, too many banks, too many soldiers, too many tanks. I've been sanctified and terrified. I've been denied and thrown aside. Yeah, Walter, I'm going to have to ask to hear the story behind this amazing collaboration with D. Well, I can tell you uh, two years ago, D. Snyder on his Twitter put up a song of mine and said, who is this guy? This guy is just blazing. He's my new favorite guitar player. <laughs> so I just answered him on Twitter and I said, thanks a lot, man. And he sent me a message and said, give me your cell number. And we started talking and we become great friends. We talk all the time. 
and he's an amazing guy. And um, and he said, man, I would love to sing on your record. And I thought, well, that would be a really interesting collaboration. So then I thought, okay, I got to write a song to do with D. And I thought, well, his big hit is we're not going to take it. And um, in keeping with the theme of broken and it falls apart, I kind of looked around and I thought, I've had enough. It's easy to relate to, you know. And so I wrote that tune and, and uh, he came in the studio and, and he sang his ass off, man. He, he's singing great on there. And um, shortly we're going to do a video of the song, he and I together. He's an amazing guy, man. It was really fun doing this music with him. And I think that song came out real, really good, too, you know. And I listened to the rhythm section. I mean, my drummer, Mike Lazier, this is his 10th album with me. But before me, he was with Edgar Winter. And uh, the bass player on this album, Jamie Hunting, he was with Roger Daltrey and uh, David Lee Roth and uh eddie money i mean these guys are rockers so we're rocking well i want to ask about over the last decade and change it seems like not every year but almost with every passing year we're getting new walter trout music and every album has been just as good as the last if not better each and every time how do you keep up this consistency with each and every album you know, that's an interesting question, Brian, and I don't know how to answer it. I, I sit down to write. I'm not somebody that writes all the time because I have to get into a certain zone emotionally and mentally. And the best way for me to do an album is my wife goes to Denmark, where she's from, and we have a house there, and my kids are over there. And I will stay in this house in California for a couple of weeks by myself and get into that zone. And my wife and kids know that when I'm in that zone, I'm very hard to communicate with. I, as my wife says, okay, she used to tell my kids, dad's writing an album. He's not on the planet right now, <laughs> you know? And um, But if I start writing a, a tune and it doesn't grab me, I, I, I get rid of it, you know? Um, so I, as far as the consistency, that's a tough one. I, I don't have any way, and I'm glad you think that they're good and they're getting better, you know, because it is part of me that I want to keep creating and I want it to improve. I want to get better at what I do. So it's not something I know how to do consciously. I just set out, okay, I'm going to make a record. Let's see what I can come up with. Here's an interesting story. Every time my wife who manages me says, okay, you got to make a record. I go through a couple of days where I sit down and I get very morose and depressed and go, I don't think I have anything more to say. I don't know how I can do this again. Am I out of ideas? And, and I get into this kind of depression and then I hear one day, I'm trying to get this out without losing it. It happens all the time. I hear the voice of my mom and she says, Walter, from the time you were five years old, all you wanted to do was be a musician. 
and you are a musician and you make music and that is what you do and it's easy for you. So quit belly aching and sit down and make some music. And as soon as I have that epiphany, man, I can write an album in a week. Wow. Completely floored by that. That's just a beautiful story. A few weeks ago on episode 55, we had Jax Hollow on the program, who's an up and coming female blues guitarist. And her and I curated the ultimate modern blues rock playlist. And one of the song choices without spoiling it for the, my weekly mixtape listeners who might not have heard the episode yet is your song. Want to dance from your ordinary madness album. Whoa, cool. This song to me is distinctly a Walter Trout song. But when I listen to the guitar tone, and you mentioned them earlier, which is why I'm bringing it up now, I hear elements of Neil Young and Crazy Horse in the sound of the guitar on that song. And I'm curious, was that something that was in the back of your mind? Because to me, it's distinctly Walter Trout tipping his hat to Neil Young on that track. Let me tell you, I did not do that intentionally, but I've had many people tell me that. And when that song was released as a single, a lot of people commented, who does this guy think? Is this crazy horse or what is this, you know? But an interesting story behind that song was um, out here in California in Long Beach some years back. There's an old hotel from the 30s. It was owned originally by Conrad Hilton, and um, he had a restaurant up on the top of the hotel with swing bands, and it's where he and Elizabeth Taylor had had their honeymoon, and there were photos up of Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall sitting in the booths, and there were swing bands that played, and my wife and I would get suits and clothes from the 30s and people would go there on Saturday nights and the swing band would play and we would have dinner and we would dance and we actually took swing dance lessons. Wow. And the beautiful fun of it was I went there and nobody knew who I was. We just had dinner and we'd go out and dance and nobody watched us. The fact that we couldn't dance very well, but (laughs) we had smiles on our faces and It was something that we loved doing, and whenever I was home, we would do that like every weekend, and that song is, that's exactly what that song is about. That place has since closed, and there's no place like it around here, and we miss it. Well, earlier we talked about your cover of Dust My Broom, and I'm a huge fan of cover songs. In 2015, you blew my mind with an EP of five covers called In Session, which included your take on Jeff Beck Group's Blues Deluxe, ZZ Top's Gimme All Your Lovin', The Black Keys Tighten Up, Stevie Ray Vaughan's Say What, and Leonard Skinner's Gimme Three Steps. When you're covering someone else's music, How do you strike a balance between honoring the original song and putting the quote unquote Walter Trout stamp on it? Well, this is very interesting because all of those covers, I did them. There were tribute albums and I played on all those tribute albums and I had no idea they had all been released as an EP. 
Really? So I have a feeling that EP is a bootleg, but I'm okay. It doesn't matter. But I did those on tribute albums, and I did a lot more than that, actually. I did a whole lot of tribute albums for a while, and it was great. I, I'd go up to L.A. And, and do these tunes that I love. They always let me pick the song, too, which was great, you know, except for one time. I played on one called Blues on Blonde, which was Blonde on Blonde by Bob Dylan, but done by bluesers. And they made me do Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat, which was my least favorite Bob Dylan song of all time. (laughs) (laughs) And as far as covering those songs, I've always tried to do it, but make it my own. I'm not out to be a a tribute band, you know, and uh, tribute bands now are huge. And it's something that I don't quite get when guys dress up like uh, Tom Petty and they come out and they put on a wig and they do it because what's missing is the original spark of genius. Tom Petty had the spark of genius. And when some guy comes out and imitates him, it's not Tom Petty, you know? So I'm I'm not really a, a tribute band aficionado. But so when I did those albums, I very deliberately tried to do them my way when i did um the zz top tune Mm -hmm. i didn't try to sing like billy gibbons or you know i didn't try to play the guitar solo like was on their record i do it my own way and um i've done that from the beginning you know my first album i had a live version of red house but i didn't do it like Jimi hendrix my second album I had a version of Girl from the North Country by Bob Dylan, and I did it my own approach, you know? That version of Red House, I told you that Looking for the Promised Land was the song that I discovered you with. Red House is my favorite blues song of all time from the Jimi Hendrix experience. That was the song that my father said, if you want to hear guitar playing when I was growing up, he said, you need to listen to this song. And the first time... I heard Red House. I fell in love with the blues. And when I heard your nine-minute version of it, I said, this guy speaks my language. When you're tackling something like Red House by Jimi Hendrix, which everybody has kind of ingrained in their musical DNA, how do you set yours apart but still show that you're a fan, that you could tell in your version that you love the original? How do you strike that? Well, when you get to... When you get into the song, once again, you have to consciously do your best to make it your own. I also did a cover on an album of I Shall Be Released by Bob Dylan, but I approached it completely different than every other band I've ever heard do it. For example, when they get to the chorus, they have harmony. I decided not to do that. And I told the band, I want to approach this song as if it's Otis Redding doing it or Wilson Pickett. And I tried to sort of sing it in my own way, but it's like the way uh, Wilson Pickett did Hey Jude or Mm -hmm. Sonny, you know, make it your own. And so with Red House, plus that was recorded live in front of about 80,000 people. (laughs) So I was off, you know. (laughs) That was at a, at a festival in Denmark. 
And um, I was getting off, man. Plus, we went on right before Little Feet. So my buddy, Richie Hayward, was standing in the monitor booth watching me play. So I'm like, I, I got to. I got to go here, man. I got to play. <laughs> well, we have talked about a lot of my favorite songs tonight, and I feel that's a little selfish. So I'd like to kind of turn the tables a little bit as all of the songs we are talking about tonight are going to be embedded in a playlist over at myweeklymixtape.com for the listeners of the show to go listen to the songs after. If you had to pick one song from across your entire body of work, all the songs you've recorded, that truly stands out to you, and I'm not saying it's your favorite song, but it's a song that holds a deep personal meaning for you, Walter Trout, the person, which one would you pick and why? Number one, I would pick The Bottom of the River. I don't know if you've heard that one, but I that's have, one yes. of the heaviest things I've ever come up with. and. The reason is this, I was dying of liver failure and I was down to about 110 pounds and I, my body was racked with cramps from head to toe and I was determined to make one last album before I died. I expected to die. I was dying and I had part of the liver failure, I had a a thing called ascites, and that is where your abdomen fills up with fluid. And I would go in once or once every two weeks, and they would stick a drain in my abdomen, and they would take out literally 25 to 50 pounds of liquid Whoa. out of my abdomen. And it was pressing on my diaphragm and my lungs, and I could not breathe. And my wife one day said to me, Oh, Walter, dear. Dear Walter, it's like you're drowning because I couldn't breathe. And I got this image in my head of a man who falls into a river and the current pulls him to the bottom and he starts drowning and he can't breathe. And he looks up, he can see the light above him out of the water, but it's too hard of a fight against the current and he's ready to drown. But then in a split second, as the lyrics say, I saw all the people I had loved and all I had done wrong, the places I had left behind and the places I belonged. I saw it, 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 he starts seeing his whole life and he sees people he did wrong, all the people he loved, what he had been through. And he decides, I'm not going to die today. And he find he fights with all his strength that he can muster and he forces his way to the top and when he gets on the above the the water and he his head pops out and he's gasping for breath it says i cried in realization as i was gasping for my breath i cried in realization that i had cheated death and then he he swims to the shore and as he crawls up on the beach he sees the beauty of the world in a way he has never seen it before. He looks at the world completely different. And the last line is, that day I changed forever from who I was before. And that song to me is like a short story. And I did that song on that album. And I had to, I, I was, it was so hard to catch my breath. The only way I could do the, the vocals 
I would have to sit. I'd have the microphone in front of me. The producer would be in the, and I would gather my breath and I'd point to him and he'd push record and I would sing one line. And then I had to stop and I had to gather my breath again. And I'd point to him and I'd sing the next line. And I was determined I had to do that whole album like that. But that song to me is um, something that I don't know where it came from. It, it was given to me. But it is an optimistic song because in the song I live, even though I expected to die. And um, that is one of the... I have a hard time listening to that one. Wow. Uh, I don't get speechless often, but I'm speechless after that story. Well, That's sometime just... now that I've described it, give that song a listen. Oh, I'm a huge fan of The Blues Came Calling. It's an amazing album. And as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to have to go listen to that song again and hear it with that story in mind, because now I'm going to hear that song in a completely different light. Yeah. And that came from my wife. Well, I am just grateful that you're here making incredible music to this day. So thankful for decades of amazing music. And I'm just going to say it for decades more to come, because considering the output that you've done over the last decade, I can't expect that you're slowing down this train anytime soon. Thank you so much for joining me on my weekly mixtape. It's been an honor. Well, thank you for having me, Brian. This has been a pleasure. Anytime you want me to come back on your show, I'd love to do it. You've been a great interviewer, and I've enjoyed this. And just a reminder to those listening, all of the songs we've discussed today, I'm embedding in a playlist over at myweeklymixtape.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the full catalog of My Weekly Mixtape episodes. If you like what you're hearing on the show, you can help me out by either telling a friend, leaving the show a five-star review wherever you're tuning in, or becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. And until next time. Enjoy the tunes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.